God is so good, isn't he? He's always good. He's still good, isn't he? God is good in this hour. Uh, just listen to uh, Dutch Sheets this morning. Have you guys been listening to his Give, Give Him 15? And uh, I'm going to mess it up, but he quoted Winston Churchill from uh, Someone Had a Dream with Winston Churchill and Dutch Sheets in it, so Dutch shared it. Um, but basically, he said that uh, this is a great hour to be alive. Winston Churchill talking about World War II. It wouldn't be what uh, most of us would say when you're going through a hard time, is it? But it was an opportunity to uh, be strong and to look at the situation through God's eyes, to look at the situation uh, instead of the, the grimness of it, but through uh, eyes of a future and a hope and a tomorrow. Amen? And I really believe that uh, out of all of it, that struck me the most that uh, that God is so uh, in control right now, and uh, what happens with everything in human nature is everything starts off strong, and then it begins to lose momentum. Even a bullet comes out of the out of the barrel, right, with so much force and so much momentum. But if you give that bullet that is so powerful long enough, and you gave it a strong enough plane eventually it would actually just fall on the ground and just hit the ground lifeless. You could give it a flat enough and long enough plane, that immense power, it would just end up just actually just laying on the ground gently because eventually it runs out of steam. And um, I really believe that right now um, God needs his church, needs his people to not be like, that bullet that loses its momentum eventually, and it's so easy to do, and uh, and and it's not a coincidence that um, you know where we're at in time. We're also into it's been a long year for everyone, and we're also going into a holiday season. And then the cold makes us even more you know less apathetic, makes you not want to do anything. Right, the dark early. So, you know, the enemy's going to use all those things. I'm not saying the enemy planned it to be wintertime right now, but he will try to use the elements and the things around you and just the length of the year to get you to just relax and rest and kind of just go into holiday mode. And I want you to enjoy God, uh, have a great time with your family in these next couple of weeks, but not to forget what we're up against in this hour as a nation and as his church. And I see two things could happen right now. One is that the church will modify and adapt and try to just create their own version of a new normal um, and be potentially even less powerful and less godly than it was before. You know, just be trying to figure stuff out and just like exist. And then the other side is that it folds completely. And uh, I see those two potentials uh, in the Church of America that we must be aware of. And, and, and what's going to happen is, is because as light and darkness, we've been talking about the story of Exodus, and I believe the Lord brought us to this story. A lot of people had been feeling in their spirit that were up against a Red Sea moment, but there was a lot that led up to that Red Sea moment. 
that led up to that deliverance. And there's a lot that's going on in that situation is also going on in this situation. If we are not uh, so serious um, about what we're dealing with right now, uh, we will turn around and just be shocked at what we have become as a nation, but also as a church. And I just started last week just reminding us of some things that are abnormal, some things that are not normal. We need to be, we need to be reminded that Today, the church is not normal. It's not the church that God wanted. I'm perfectly fine with having coffee, and, and one day we're going to have coffee together again, and bagels and donuts and on all that, and that's great. But if that becomes what church is, then that's no different than the hell's angels gathering together on a Sunday morning for a meeting, right? I'm sure they have coffee and donuts before they go out on a ride. I promise you they do. There's no difference. And so the church is not just a gathering place. It's not just a, a meeting place. It's not those things. And yet, and, and, I, and I understand, like, and, and this, this hour, this is very strange. I'm just starting to see something here, just starting to see it, just peering into the future. What's happened is because the church can't meet in person as much across the nation, we've really gone to this uh, social church, social media church, YouTube church more than ever. And what will happen if we're not careful is an even greater disconnect from the Spirit of God and from the, being the church and becoming even more of a spectator than ever. And if we thought that having the coffee shop in the entry was... Something that, okay, you know, maybe we're just not used to it. Uh, you know, maybe we don't, just don't understand it. Um, but I think that the symbolism of what that, was, what that was when it was placed in the front of those churches really became what that church was. The church just became a coffee shop. Ultimately, maybe their intention was good. That's what it became. And where we're at right now is the church could become even more of just uh, a self-help something that exists for a, a social thing. It's there for people. But really, what is it? Like, in the end, what is it? Especially what's happening is, is we can't touch any of the issues because we dare, dare not offend anyone. We can't touch any of the issues. You can't say anything. You know, you, it's not a men's room. It's not a girl's room anymore, right? We can't touch any of the actual issues and so what's happening is, like, what is it? And um, at the same time, the Lord is raising up a remnant church, local church, the small church. It doesn't mean it's just small. It can be big, but God is raising up people all across this nation who have realized that the church is more than a place. It's more than something that they watch. The church is more than gathering and having coffee on a Sunday and, 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 and making cookies together and all those fun things that we can do during this type of season. But that it's more than that. And what the enemy will try to do in this hour is try to get people to move on, just try to move on, make the best of it, 
and it will weaken the church even more than it's already been weakened. Ultimately, slipping in very subtly and very, very slyly a, a new church, a new doctrine. I mean, at that point, the doctrine's gone. The, uh, the spirit is gone. I mean, what is it? It's not very hard now to just steer it any direction you want. I believe that God's doing a few things in this hour. And first, let me remind us of the text the Lord has been encouraging us with. We've been looking at the story of Exodus and uh, the story of the Israelites being freed from Egypt's bondage. And we're looking at how Egypt... Um, was being dealt with, and a climax at the Red Sea. And we saw in the book of Exodus, as we all know in this church, this is all ABCs of Christianity, ABCs of the Bible, but that Israel walked across the seabed on dry ground. God supernaturally uh, guided them all the way across to safety. And then Egypt sent in their elite warriors, and they get stuck, their wheels get bent up, God drowns them supernaturally, and um, what's funny is I love how science, I love how we try to normalize God's supernatura supernaturality. Is that a word? That's quite a long word. I think it's a word, but we try to normalize it, so we're like, I was reading this whole thing on how scientifically, if you got a strong enough wind for a long enough time, you could actually push the shore back from the sea, creating a dry path that people could actually walk on dry ground and keep it, and then the wind could turn and drive the water back in. And I read that actually uh, Napoleon tried to cross an area of the Red Sea at, at one point, and that's exactly what happened. They thought it was dry ground, and they were crossing, and actually it was a tide and a wind, and actually came in and almost drowned his army. Very uh, interesting. But so science and, and the academic community, and it gets all mixed into the church, and they try to create a you know, natural story to a supernatural story. What they can't explain is that the scriptures say that there was a wall on their left, and a wall on their right. How do you explain a wind that pushes the water in both directions to create a wall? And then how do you explain how, you know, at the exact moment that they get to the other side of the sea, the exact moment that the entire army, the Bible says that not even one survived, they just happened to be that the wind turned directions. You know, why are we trying to normalize and try to rationalize something that's supernatural. We need to recognize that God is supernatural, and that this story is supernatural, and that that's really what the church is. It's supernatural. That's what God wants again. We have become so normalized. We're trying to appeal to the world in such a way and try to become like them in such a way so that they'll like us and so that we can get people saved. But what you find out is we never actually get them saved. We might get them to say a prayer, but have they actually been saved? Because if they haven't heard the actual gospel, then what have we saved them into? And so we need to realize that God is supernatural. God wants to be supernatural again. God wants his church to be the church again. To be the church again. His church is not a building. And that is fine. God is not opposed with cool buildings. 
God is not opposed with using YouTube. God is not opposed to social media. God is not opposed to you looking fashionable while you're out witnessing to people. You know, we, then we can get weird, right? And then guys go out, and I love the shofar, but guys go out and they dress like Jews and they blow the shofar in the street, you know, saying, well, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to be supernatural. I'm not going to be like, the, you know, the American church and I'm going to be like what God wants me to be. And that's not what he wants either. You to go out there and dress like an Israelite. That's just getting weird. But there is a supernatural church that God desires. There is a supernatural part of God that is absent from the church, and that's what he wants again, and we must be reminded that this story here is supernatural, and I believe that's what he wants to do in this time and in this nation and in his church. And so a few things that I believe he's doing again. Number one is that he is revealing and displaying and will do it again, his glory. God's glory will be seen. And there will, I mentioned uh, last week and the week before, there will be scoffers that will miss it. They miss Jesus. Jesus was the greatest display of God's glory ever, and people missed it. So God's glory will be on display that does not mean that it's impossible to, mi to miss it. You may miss it if you are very stubborn and hard-hearted like they were when he was there. They paid to hide his resurrection, right? The, the Jews actually uh, funded fake news that he was stolen away. Uh, so the Lord's glory is going to be on display again. I believe it's already on display in this hour, but your eyes must have eyes to see and ears to hear it. In fact... Um, I've t been talking to a few people that the Lord's been speaking more in this hour than he has in years. He's been showing more things to people in this hour than he has in years. It's just very subtle in the sense that uh, it's not, you know, we're, we're looking for like, you know, the heaven to split apart and lightning to crack down and God to stand there with plain eyes, and one day he will. But he is speaking to people. People are having dreams. People are having visions. God's bringing the scriptures to life. People are coming to him. People have been praying like never before. Simultaneously, while the church is becoming more and more like the world, there is a church that has been separated, and that's point number two, is that while he's displaying his glory, he's creating a distinction. This is what we talked about last week. The distinction between light and darkness is becoming more and more clear. And the church can actually choose to be on the side of light and darkness as well. Just like the world has to make the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus or I'm going to follow the world. Right? They're making a decision. The church could look like a church and not be the church. Because don't forget that the church, quote unquote, rejected Jesus. Don't forget that the people who knew the scriptures better than anybody on the earth at the time, i.e. Paul, one of them, was out killing Jesus' disciples. Don't forget that out of the greatest move, second to the one we're about to see, because Jesus said we'd see an even greater one, so the greatest move so far was actually being persecuted by the church. How ironic. 
Don't forget that. And so the hour right now that we're coming into is an hour of distinction. This is shocking, and I don't even know his name, so I can't even blast. I can't even talk bad about someone because I don't even know the guy's name. But apparently, there is a pastor uh, right now who's being outspoken. I just happened to hear just a piece of it, but uh, you know, full abortion supporter, and uh, and, and being pretty outspoken. Uh, against um, the lawsuits and against Trump, and but he's he's like, oh, I'm a pastor though, so that, like you know, so that makes it him somebody that the church should be listening to, even though all of his all of his principles, all his, they were going down like the things this guy believes. And again, I missed his name, and I think that's good. I missed his name because I can't even tell you who it is. I'm glad that I did miss his name, so I'm not talking about him specifically as much as talking about the idea, the things that are coming into this time and into this nation. And God is creating a separation between light and darkness. God is making a distinction between who are his and who is not. And he is and will show that the power of the Egyptians, that's the power of the world today, cannot rival his power. That is where we're coming, and that's the third point that I'd like to bring into today, and I'd like to talk about for the next few minutes, is that um, God has given his church the authority. I want you to say that out loud. God has given his church the authority. I want you to make another statement that goes hand in hand, and this is so important. God has given his church obedience. There is authority, but authority goes hand in hand with obedience. Authority and obedience. The two parts go hand in hand. And what happened here in this story is that God meets with Moses on on Sinai, right, in the burning bush, and his presence manifests. And I want you to look at the scriptures here in Exodus Chapter 3, verse 7. Exodus 3, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. And we've been looking at these verses. All, you all know them very well, being a Christian, all in here, mature church. So you've read these verses. You've heard this story. But the Bible says that God said that he would lead them. Amen? God did it. God said he would lead them. We know that, right? And yet, as we continue into the story here, Really, just the next few verses, he tells them, I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And verse 9, look, I heard the cry. It's reached me. And verse 10, now I am sending you. It says in verse 7, I've seen it, and I'm going to deliver them. Everybody say, God is going to deliver in this hour. Verse 10, but God is sending me to do it. Well, you guys didn't like saying that because you felt like, ugh, I don't know. Am I allowed to say that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Now you have. I want you to actually, let's just read these verses and let's make it first person. Ready? Now I have every spiritual gift I need as I eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have every gift I need. Verse 8, he will keep me strong to the end. So there's God's, uh, he's given me everything I need. He will keep me strong to the end so that I will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. So he's going to do something supernatural to protect me, walk me through it, keep me safe, protect me, guard my heart, check me when I'm off, etc., right? That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That's the Word working in our lives. That's the church being iron, sharpening iron. Verse 9, God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited me. Everybody, I want you to read these words out loud. God has invited me into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is the son of God, sits at the right hand of God, Rules with an iron scepter. The entire world bows, whether they know it or not, whether they have or not, they will at the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that we have become partners with him. Do you realize how powerful that is? Let's go back to Exodus now, because we need to bring the New Testament truths. We need to bring the covenants of the New Testament and the covenant of Jesus when we read the Old Testament. Sometimes people just throw it out. They think it's new versus old, and sometimes we miss things, and we must do this. We must look at the old through the new. Amen. So we look at the story, and we look at who Moses is and what God has called him to do through the blood and through the new covenant. And it says in verse 10, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I thought it said in verse 7 that the Lord said that he said, I've heard it. I've heard their cries. Verse 8, I've come down to rescue them. Verse 7 says, I've heard it. Verse 8 says that he's going to rescue them. Suddenly, just two verses later, he says, Moses, I want you to lead my people Israel out of Egypt. God has given his church a commission. That's the church's job. To lead this world out of bondage, out of captivity, out of the grip of the enemy. The plan and purpose of the church, the Bible says that God made a display to the devil with the church. That God made a mockery of him at the cross. And we are the continuation of the cross. Amen. So that means that we are a display of his glory making a mockery of the enemy and of his plans and of his purpose and of his power. And the more we become like them and the more we just stay in them, see, that's this whole story. What is so significant is we're coming up to a Red Sea moment. I'm getting ahead of myself because I got to preach it. But it's time to come out of Egypt. In order to have a Red Sea moment, you can't stay in Egypt. I can't help it. Uh, this is, I'm supposed to be building this up like a drama. I like building sermons up to a, to a culmination. If you know my style, 
I walk you along. You're like, where is he going with this? And then I bring you to somewhere, and okay, it makes sense. But the Bible says that he said to them, verse 15 of Exodus 14, and then I'll come back to it. He said, tell the people to get moving. Tell the people to get moving. It's time to get out of Egypt. It's time to leave Egypt. And I looked at last week, the Bible says that we looked in Revelation, that he also gives us the picture of Babylon and tells his church to get out of Babylon. He says, if you don't get out of Babylon, when I come to judge her, you're going to suffer the judgments that she's going to suffer. And if we don't get out of Egypt, we don't get out of the world, we're too intermingled and too mixed in with it. The Bible is clear that when God comes to deal with it, you need to know what side you're on. You don't want to be mixed up and mixed in and, and so worldly that, that suddenly the Lord says some things to us that he warns us about when he says, I don't know you. And you say, Lord, what do you mean I don't, you don't know me? I've done all these things. We did all these things. We built these amazing programs. We built these amazing buildings. We did all these social things, and we did all these group things, and we did all these, these public things, and we did all these things in the community, and we had these amazing coffee shops and these amazing times with all those people, and the Lord says, you did all those things in your own strength and for your own gain and for your own emblem on your building, for your own logo on YouTube and for your own website, making it future, making it relevant to 2020. And he says, but I don't know you. He said, I'm coming to rescue them, and this is the purpose. You, Moses, you're not an Egyptian anymore. You're, I brought you out of there, and now I want you to go get the people out of there. I rescued you. In fact, if I, Moses, if I brought you to 2020... Nobody would believe that you have the ability to do it. In fact, Moses, if I brought you to 2020, because in verse 11, he begins to protest against God. And what's funny is that we all look at him and be like, oh, Moses, you're arguing with God. But what's funny is that if he brought Moses to 2020, Moses wouldn't need to argue with God because the whole church would argue against Moses being uh, capable and being worthy and being sufficient to be the guy that God's called him to do this, wouldn't we? Moses, you mean Moses the murderer? Isn't it ironic? You know, we, we try throughout the years as a church and as Christians to not mix politics in, but you know, this is the moment we're in, okay, guys? I'm trying to keep it out as much as I possibly can, but I can't help it. This is the moment we're in. So many people have judged Trump for his past. Not for his present, for his past. What is, it's just so shocking to me. I'm like, Lord, I know we can't be right about everything. You know, you never just sit with the Lord and be like, okay, there's 8 billion people in the world I don't know how many of those are Christians, but out of all those Christians, I can't be the only person on the earth that has it all figured out. So I may be off in a few areas, areas God, but how is it possible, knowing your word and knowing you and knowing your nature and knowing the characters in your word, that so much of the church has an issue with this man who praises you, is trying to end abortion, 
is trying to fend for the church, finally standing for the Christian America again, and yet so much of this church today is opposing him. How is this possible, God? That was just a commercial break. But verse 11 says he protests with God. He says, who am I? And, you know, that's who God uses. Come on, I want you to just realize this. The reason that God, I believe, has picked this guy and picked him is because of his past. Because this guy is not a politician, and he is not a, a super Christian with all his hidden junk. All his junk is out and exposed. And I'm sorry for that. I mean, he's pretty, pretty it's pretty obvious that God has been changing him, that he doesn't want to be that guy. That's, that's not him anymore. Well, I didn't mean to do any of that. But that's what the Lord is saying in this hour. I, don't, I think it breaks the Lord's heart, in fact. You know, because eventually Moses, they, they keep actually Moses protesting here, and then they fight with him. Remember, uh, we got the core rebellion, and even Miriam, his sister, and Aaron. We got a couple of things going on in the future. I mean, even his own family, they got issues with him, not realizing who Moses is. That he's God's guy. And you don't touch God's guy. You don't mess with God's guy. The guy that I got is the guy that I got, and he's going to do what I tell him to do. Anyway. But he says, he says to him, he says in response to Mo Moses protesting in verse 11, God says, I will be with you. We need to know this right now, that this is the purpose. That we are just normal people, just like James says, uh, looking back at the story of Elijah, it says Elijah was just a normal guy. In fact, he was a weird guy, right? Elijah was weird. All the prophets were weird. All the characters in the Bible are weird. They're just normal people, but you know what they did? They listened to God. God gave them a supernatural authority that nobody understood, that the world judges, the church judges, and yet... It was supernatural authority that was put on them, and yet what really breaks the mold and what really brings these people through to fulfilling what God calls them to do is that they are obedient. They can protest, they might not understand, but they actually, what he's recognizing is that it's not him, that he doesn't have the strength, he doesn't have the ability. And we need to realize right now that the church doesn't need to look strong, doesn't need to try to be strong, doesn't need to show off to the world. The world is never, ever. It doesn't matter how cool you make it. It doesn't matter how much you make it like them. Eventually, you're going to find the line where they're not going to agree with you. And then you just keep watering it down more and more and more. Instead, let's just recognize this, that we are not like the world. The world is not like us. The God is not like us. When God says he's not like us, it doesn't mean he's not like the people in this room because we are like him. We're made in his image. But he is not like the world that he rescued you from. And he rescues you and then changes you into his image. Amen. But he says, I, verse 12, will be with you. Everybody say that God is with us. And that's this, I love that, that's that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Greek word you're going to find there for that partnership is that word koinonia, which I've been mentioning for these last couple of years to this church because there's a partnership, there's a joining together of low, humble, even flawed man. Flawed. 
It's the imperfection of the church. It's really the, the smallness of it. It's the, the uh, nothing. It says of Jesus that there was nothing particular about him that would have made you think anything about him. He wasn't striking in any particular way. He was just a normal guy. And he was just, you know, the church just needs to be the church again and stop trying to be super church. We just need to be who we called to be and recognize that, but then recognize the second part, that God wants to do something supernatural through that, though, and not limit him as he's trying to do that. And that's what he's about to do in this hour. We don't want to limit him. We don't need to try to do it. I just feel like the Lord's reminding me you don't need to try. You can't try. In fact, the more you try, the more you mess it up. You don't need to try. I just need you to be obedient and do what I say when I say it. That's it. And, and for sake of time, let me just keep moving here. He says to him, he says, I will be with you. And this is the sign. Uh, he begins to show him some signs. He says, I want you to raise your hand and, 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 uh, and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles. And then chapter 4. Motest, uh, Moses, Motest. Moses is continuing to protest. Motest. Motested. Uh, it says uh, that he begins to, to protest again. And so the Lord says to him, and this is what I really want you to get today. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, God said to him, what is in your hand? The Bible says very clearly, just for sake of time, I'm not going to, you guys know the verses, I'll just, we don't have time to quote it, but we'll go to New Testament. The Bible says that he has given us each and every one of us gifts and abilities. There is not just the fivefold that serves the rest of the church, but every single person that comes to Christ, it was already in them, it was just unlocked through the blood of Jesus and through the union with the Holy Spirit. People use those gifts and abilities for themselves, right? You know, Dawn and I, we see a really amazing singer using it for the world, and it just breaks our heart. We're like, it's so sad that they're using God's ability that he put in them for themselves and to please the devil, ultimately. But what happens is when we come to Christ is that there is something that he has put in us, and you know what? Everybody say, it's normal. He said, a shepherd's staff. Now, there's all kinds of teachings. Some, some people say that God gave him the staff here, and there's no implication of that whatsoever. It is called God's staff or the rod of God. It's called the rod of God as the story progresses because God does something here. He has a shepherd's staff because Moses was what? Anybody know what Moses was doing on that mountain? He was shepherding. That's what you do with sheep, right? They live in the mountains. So he was on a mountain, and then it says that he saw a burning bush and said, what is that burning bush? And turned aside to go see it like any of us would. Just living his life, doing his thing, suddenly there's an impartation of God into his life. Amen. Just like all of us have experienced. You're just going through life, and then suddenly Something in the Lord, right, catches your eye, and you, I need to go see what's going on here, and something begins to happen in your life. And what he does is he takes what's already in your hand, and he anoints it. 
This is the hour for the church to finally be the church. We don't need to try to be like the world. We need to be who God has made us to be. And we need to use what he has put in our hands. And the Bible says here with Moses, and I believe if you go through your New Testament theology, that God takes what you have and what is in your hands and takes the life that you have and he turns it for his good and for his gain and gives you a supernatural impartation of his spirit and then requires you to use it as he asks and sees fit. Because we only have a few minutes left, I just want to fast forward right now. What we know is this. What ends up happening is what? God begins to tell him. He says to him, he argues some more with him, and then they come up with a bargain that Aaron's going to do some of the work for him. He might do the, some of the speaking for him. What ends up happening is Aaron ends up using the staff, whether it's his own staff or Moses' staff. That's another debate. But begins to use the staff. Moses, the Bible says, he said, I'll make you like God, and Aaron will look like you. he'll be your prophet to, Egypt, to Pharaoh. And so God begins to do something supernatural through Moses and through Aaron. And he tells him in verse 17 of the same chapter, verse uh, chapter 4, he says, take your shepherd's staff with you. I want you to take what's in your hand, and I want you to use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Church, I want you to take what I have imparted into you. I took a normal, nobody, human being, a little, low, insignificant speck that is not even measurable against the scale of the universe. You couldn't even use the most advanced microscope, telescope, depending on your perspective, you're looking from there or here. You couldn't even measure you. You couldn't even be measured with the most advanced. I mean, we're talking subatomic level. You look at the scale of the universe, and you aren't even measurable. And God says, I want to use you. It's time for you to raise your voice. It's time for you to stand. It's time for you to take the rod that I put in your hand, and I want you to do some things. But it's very important that you do it the way that I say it. So what begins to happen? We could turn this into a five-hour Bible study, so I'm just preaching here. We're not going into a Bible study. What happens? He says, Moses... I'm going to do this to Egypt. But Moses, you take your staff, you go down there to Egypt, and you do this. I want you to strike the water and turn it into blood. I want you to strike the ground. I want you to finally, we come down to the Red Sea. We come to the culminating moment of this Exodus story. And the Bible says, it says, as Pharaoh approached, chapter 14, we're back here at 14. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And that's a lie, isn't it? That, you know, isn't that funny that uh, the, literally 
the motto right during the American Revolution, give me liberty or give me death. And here's the Egyptians. It's so worldly. That's so fleshly. That's so weak. What a weak statement. I'd rather die than be free. And it's so weak. No, I'd rather be free. If it, if it costs, I'm, I'm, maybe I turned that around because you guys look confused. I'd rather die if that's what it costs to be free. Because to be free ain't cheap, right? Being free is not free. It's cost blood. And they said, we'd rather be slaves. But Moses told the people, and that's what the Lord is tired of. It's time to be enough. It's enough of that. No more slavery. My church will not be enslaved any longer. You want to stay in Egypt? That's your choice. But you're going to suffer the consequences with Egypt. It's time to get out of Egypt and to get moving. I'm going to do some things in this world. It's going to shock you. I wrote a whole book about it, church, called the book of Revelation. And I wrote Daniel, who said, I told him to seal it up. Because it's a time ahead of you, and there's some things that God's going to do on this earth. It's going to shock the world, and it's not supposed to be to the church. But if you decide to stay in the world, you want to be part of it, you're going to suffer with it. But it's time to get up and to get out of it. Amen. And we cannot be slaves to this system and slaves any longer, even if they hate us and even if they don't let you be a 4501C3QRSTUVW thing because you say things that are political and you say things that are that are anti-social and, and anti, you know, you, you can't talk like that any longer because you might offend anyone in the universe you might offend an ant by saying that so we're going to strip everything away it's time to be free whatever the cost so moses tells the people don't be afraid stand still and watch the lord rescue you today and this is where i'm bringing this up verse 13 it says he says the lord will rescue you today everybody say the lord is about to rescue his church but the bible says he said, the Lord's going to rescue the church. The Lord himself will fight for you, verse 14, just stay calm. But verse, for, verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Man, I love the word of God. All that to get here. All that culminating to this moment he said, tell the people to get moving. You know what this literally means? It means to pull the tent pins. That means you don't live here any longer. It means like when we say get out of the world, we, we come out of the world and then we're so desperate to go back into it, to be the worldly church. Just let them think you're weird. You are never, ever, ever going to be accepted by the world. Jesus was not accepted. John the Baptist was a weirdo. Nobody accepted him even back then. He wore camel's hair, right, and ate locusts. He was a weird guy. Jesus was not accepted. There was a group of people that did, and there will be a group of people that will cleave to you. That's what this church, that's what the church is. It's the few Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, right? The road to life, few find it. It's sad, but that's the truth. We must be the few. 
and that's it. And it is not your burden. What happens is your burden to try to be like the wide, to get the wide, ends up just becoming you to be like the wide. You end up becoming them. And the Bible says, pull up the pins, move on. This is the full meaning of this word, actually. It means to move on, to move forward, to go on a journey before you. I'll lead you, but you must pack up your things. You can no longer stay here, stuck in your oppression, stuck in the past, trapped in a place of doubt, trapped by the enemy taunting you, uh, trapped in uh, things you can say and can't say get up and get out of this place it's time to progress to move forward to trust me and to walk with me through the miraculous journey ahead and then he says verse 16 Moses you just prayed and you told the people I'm going to do some things that's not off you're not wrong Moses (laughs) it's not wrong but Moses Why are you crying to me? Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. It is a time. This is a moment. In fact, I've heard so many sermons growing up. You know, the church, that the church just gets fat. The church is so fat with with doctrines and fat with, it was CDs, we don't have CDs, but fat with YouTube, and, and we're so fat with all these ideologies, and man, I've got so many different resources on this iPad to preach. I'm just fat with theologies and ideas and the theories and what Christianity is and what it isn't, and then we just sit and roll around with our fatness of, of, of you know, and I'm just God's, I'm God's kid, and I have so much knowledge and so much wisdom You know why your body stores fat? Well, that's why we get fat. Fat, right, is energy, right? Initially, you need the fat. It gives you an energy. Right? In the, in, up in the Arctic, the Eskimos, they crave the fat. They eat the fat because the cold is going gonna, is gonna to fight against their body so hard their body's like in overdrive to fight the cold. They need that fat. That's what they'll be to survive. But what happens is when you don't use it, you don't use it. They're discovering, actually, that it's not fat that's bad for you. It's sugar, right? That sugar is much worse than the fat. The fat is actually a good part of your diet. Dawn has, has schooled me a little bit on this. You need some fats. Not too much, but you need some fats. But their purpose is to fuel you, not to fatten you and this is the moment that we're at that the Lord has given us so much he has put things into our hand he's given us abilities he's given us his word he's given us his church and the church is like ah, oh, 11 a.m. I'm just joking but we you know when we started the church we would get that right the church is like ah, oh, this YouTube channel I love watching this church but it's so annoying because there's another show on YouTube at the same time The Lord says, I want you to raise your hand up at this time. You know what he did? He just raised his hand. Why does God need Moses to raise his hand? Does anybody believe that God actually needed Moses to do this? Is God, is God 
subject to us, and yet he has decided from right from Adam and Eve, through the book of Revelation, of this partnership. And when I read my word, God doesn't do anything. The Bible says, I mean, literally the Bible says it. I don't even do anything without telling my prophets first. He has decided to join with his church on this earth. He in heaven is the mind. It's the, the will. It's the, the plans and the purposes. Jesus walked them out on the earth. Submitted to him. Moses at this point, I believe the Lord says it to him so strict, so strongly because he had said, Moses, there was an issue, and I told you what to go do. Moses, there was an issue, and I told you what to go do. Moses, there was an issue, so I told you go deal with it. There's an issue again. Don't be surprised. Maybe that things have culminated to a darker level to a harder time, to things you didn't expect. You might feel trapped, might feel like this is worse than ever, but I just want you to do what you've been doing all along. And at this point, I want you to stand. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to praise me. I want you to point to me. I want you to point to my power. I want you to not point to, it'll be clear to the church right here, to the people, to everybody who's following you. People are looking at you. It's going to be clear. That you look to one. Do you look to me? And it says that Moses raised his hand, and then the Lord. Everybody say, Moses raised his hand, and the Lord opened a path. Don't you love that? And, and, and I was just, just talking to someone the other day, and they said, and I believe this is true, We've done all the repenting. We've done all the humbling. We have brought this nation before the Lord. We've done fast. We've done the prayers. It's now a moment to stand with the Lord. We've done all those things. We did what he said to do faithfully. We've done it step by step, just like he instructed. And now it's time to keep standing. We must not look at this final battle and at this final moment, and suddenly forget that the Lord has been instructing us day by day, moment by moment, and he said to pray, so we prayed. He said, go do it, so we do it. It feels like it's oppressive, but then we see some breakthrough. Then it was oppressive. Like, go through this story, right? Go through Exodus. Then there's some breakthrough. Then it's oppressive. Then there's some breakthrough. I'm going to punch through this wall of opposition in this hour, but you must stand with me. And says, then the wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. And then it says, when the Israelites, verse 26, had reached the other side, the Lord just killed them all because that was easy for him. Why is that hard for him to do? No, it says, verse 26, when the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, and this is that obedience. And this is why, I mean, I love what Dutch Sheets is doing right now, because Dutch is just a normal guy. Anybody been watching him? I asked before, you know, it's hard to get nods and expressions in here, okay? I think everybody pretty aware of him. He's just like a normal American, normal country American, this guy Dutch. 
But you know what he's doing? The Lord says, I want you to do this. The Lord gives a dream. The Lord gives an inspiration. The Lord gives him something to pray, and he just does it. Nothing magical, because it's not, ma- see, super, it's, we, it's not, supernatural is not magical, right? Disney's turned us into magic wands and sparkles and, you know, pumpkins turning into carriages. But it's supernatural, which means it's outside of the natural. It may not even be seen by your natural eyes. And we already looked at it. Remember, even all this that we're looking like, whoa, what God's doing in the story. And the people, as soon as they get to the other side, start complaining again like it had never happened. So just realize God is supernatural, not magical. And it's a natural human being joined with a super God. And suddenly something supernatural happens. Now to the world's eyes, Jesus is just a man who died a criminal's death. But to the eyes of the Spirit and to us as the church, 2,000 years later, it was the Son of God crucified for us. His blood that was natural to them. I mean, they cleaned it up off the cross, right? Cleaned it up. In the, in the movie, remember, they're wiping just normal blood to them. But to, that, to us, 2,000 years later, his blood supernaturally covers my sins that I will commit tomorrow, not just the ones that I have, but that I will on, you know, unplanned tomorrow. <laughs> his blood still covers Come on, guys. He's a supernatural God, and we must join with him in this hour. The Lord needs us to join with him. And the Bible says that they overcame because they did not love their lives unto the death, right? That it's the time to stand with him and stand and stand and stand and stand. After you've done all to stand, then stand therefore. Amen. He says, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians in their chariots and charioteers. We're just going to keep praying and keep proclaiming. You need to just start proclaiming God's magnificence, his plan, his purpose. You know, the simplest prayer that was ever prayed, Jesus prayed it. He didn't bring any politics into it. He just prayed the kingdom of God. Thy will be done. Your will be done. You proclaim that over your family. Proclaim that over this nation. Proclaim that over this hour. And God is going to have his way. Amen.